Chapter Twenty Four of the Old Curiosity Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter Twenty Four. It was not until they were quite exhausted and could no longer maintain the pace at which they had fled from the race ground that the old man and the child ventured to stop and sit down to rest upon the borders of a little wood here though the cause was hidden from their view they could yet faintly distinguish the noise of distant shouts the hum of voices and the beating of drums climbing the eminence which lay between them and the spot they had left the child could even discern the fluttering flags and white tops of booths but no person was approaching towards them, and their resting-place was solitary and still. Some time elapsed before she could reassure her trembling companion, or restore him to a state of moderate tranquillity. His disordered imagination represented to him a crowd of persons stealing towards them beneath the cover of the bushes, lurking in every ditch, and peeping from the boughs of every rustling tree. He was haunted by apprehensions of being led captive to some gloomy place, where he could be chained and scourged, and, worse than all, where Nell could never come to see him, save through iron bars and gratings in the wall. His terrors affected the child. Separation from her grandfather was the greatest evil she could dread, and feeling for the time as though, go where they would, they were to be hunted down and could never be safe but in hiding, her heart failed her, and her courage drooped. In one so young and so unused to the scenes in which she had lately moved, this sinking of the spirit was not surprising. But nature often enshrines gallant and noble hearts in weak bosoms, oftenest, God bless her, in female breasts, and when the child, casting her tearful eyes upon the old man, remembered how weak he was, and how destitute and helpless he would be if she failed him, her heart swelled within her, and animated her with new strength and fortitude. "'We are quite safe now, and have nothing to fear indeed, dear grandfather,' she said. "'Nothing to fear,' returned the old man. "'Nothing to fear if they took me from thee. Nothing to fear if they parted us. Nobody is true to me. No, not one.' not even nell oh do not say that replied the child for if ever anybody was true heart and earnest i am i am sure you know i am then now said the old man looking fearfully round how can you bear to think that we are safe when they are searching for me everywhere and may come here and steal upon us even while we are talking because i am sure we have not been followed said the child Judge for yourself, dear grandfather. Look round and see how quiet and still it is. We are alone together and may ramble where we like. Not safe. Could I feel easy? Did I feel at ease when any danger threatened you? True, too, he answered, pressing her hand, but still looking anxiously about. What noise was that? A bird, said the child, flying into the wood and leading the way for us to follow. You remember that we said we would walk in woods and fields, and by the side of rivers, and how happy we would be, you remember that? But here, while the sun shines above our heads, and everything is bright and happy, 
we are sitting sadly down and losing time. See what a pleasant path! And there is the bird, the same bird. Now he flies to another tree and stays to sing. Come! When they rose up from the ground, and took the shady track which led them through the wood, she bounded on before, printing her tiny footsteps in the moss, which rose elastic from so light a pressure, and gave it back as mirrors throw off breath. And thus she lured the old man on, with many a backward look and merry beck, now pointing stealthily to some lone bird as it perched and twittered on a branch that strayed across their path, now stopping to listen to the songs that broke the happy silence, or watch the sun as it trembled through the leaves, and stealing in among the ivied trunks of stout old trees, opened long paths of light. As they passed onward, parting the boughs that clustered in their way, the serenity which the child had first assumed stole into her breast in earnest. The old man cast no longer fearful looks behind, but felt at ease and cheerful, for the further they passed into the deep green shade, the more they felt that the tranquil mind of God was there, and shed its peace on them. At length the path becoming clearer and less intricate brought them to the end of the wood, and into a public road. Taking their way along it for a short distance, they came to a lane, so shaded by the trees on either hand, that they met together overhead, and arched the narrow way. A broken finger-post announced that this led to a village three miles off, and thither they resolved to bend their steps. The miles appeared so long, that they sometimes thought they must have missed their road, but at last, to their great joy, it led downwards in a steep descent, with overhanging banks over which the footpaths led, and the clustered houses of the village peeped from the woody hollow below. It was a very small place. The men and boys were playing at cricket on the green, and as the other folks were looking on, they wandered up and down, uncertain where to seek a humble lodging. There was but one old man in the little garden before his cottage, and him they were timid of approaching, for he was the schoolmaster, and had school written up over his window in black letters on a white board. He was a pale, simple-looking man, of a spare and meagre habit, and sat among his flowers and beehives, smoking his pipe in the little porch before his door. "'Speak to him, dear,' the old man whispered. "'I am almost afraid to disturb him,' said the child timidly. He does not seem to see us. Perhaps, if we wait a little, he may look this way. They waited, but the schoolmaster cast no look towards them, and still sat, thoughtful and silent, in the little porch. He had a kind face. In his plain old suit of black he looked pale and meagre. They fancied, too, a lonely air about him and his house. But perhaps that was because the other people formed a merry company upon the green, and he seemed the only solitary man in all the place. They were very tired, and the child would have been bold enough to address even a schoolmaster, but for something in his manner which seemed to denote that he was uneasy or distressed. As they stood hesitating at a little distance, they saw that he sat for a few minutes at a time like one in a brown study, then laid aside his pipe and took a few turns in his garden, then approached the gate and looked towards the green, then took up his pipe again with a sigh, and sat down thoughtfully as before. As nobody else appeared and it would soon be dark, Nell at length took courage, and, when he had resumed his pipe and seat, 
ventured to draw near, leading her grandfather by the hand. The slight noise they made in raising the latch of the wicket gate caught his attention. He looked at them kindly, but seemed disappointed too, and slightly shook his head. Nell dropped a curtsy, and told him they were poor travellers who sought a shelter for the night, which they would gladly pay for, so far as their means allowed. The schoolmaster looked earnestly at her as she spoke, laid aside his pipe, and rose up directly. "'If you could direct us anywhere, sir,' said the child, "'we should take it very kindly.' "'You have been walking a long way,' said the schoolmaster. "'A long way, sir.' the child replied. "'You're a young traveller, my child,' he said, laying his hand gently on her head. "'Your grandchild, friend?' "'Ay, sir,' cried the old man, "'and the stay and comfort of my life.' "'Come in,' said the schoolmaster. Without further preface, he conducted them into his little schoolroom, which was parlour and kitchen likewise, and told them that they were welcome to remain under his roof till morning.' Before they had done thanking him, he spread a coarse white cloth upon the table, with knives and platters, and bringing out some bread and cold meat, and a jug of beer, besought them to eat and drink. The child looked round the room as she took her seat. There were a couple of forms, notched and cut and dinked all over, a small deal desk perched on four legs, at which no doubt the master sat, a few dog's-eared books upon a high shelf and beside them a motley collection of peg-tops, balls, kites, fishing-lines, marbles, half-eaten apples, and other confiscated property of idle urchins. Displayed on hooks upon the wall in all their terrors were the cane and ruler, and near them, on a small shelf of its own, the dunce's cap, made of old newspapers and decorated with glaring wafers of the largest size. But, the great ornaments of the walls were certain moral sentences fairly copied in good round text, and well-worked sums in simple addition and multiplication, evidently achieved by the same hand, which were plentifully pasted all round the room, for the double purpose, as it seemed, of bearing testimony to the excellence of the school, and kindling a worthy emulation in the bosoms of the scholars. Yes, said the old schoolmaster, observing that their attention was caught by these latter specimens. "'That's beautiful writing, my dear.' "'Very, sir,' replied the child modestly. "'Is it yours?' "'Mine,' he returned, taking out his spectacles and putting them on, to have a better view of the triumph so dear to his heart. "'I couldn't write like that nowadays. No, they're all done by one hand. A little hand it is.' not so old as yours, but a very clever one. As the schoolmaster said this, he saw that a small blot of ink had been thrown on one of the copies, so he took a penknife from his pocket, and going up to the wall, carefully scraped it out. When he had finished, he walked slowly backward from the writing, admiring it as one might contemplate a beautiful picture, but with something of sadness in his voice and manner, which quite touched the child, though she was unacquainted with its cause. "'A little hand, indeed,' said the poor schoolmaster, far beyond all his companions, in his learning and his sports too. How did he ever come to be so fond of me? That I should love him is no wonder, but that he should love me.' And there the schoolmaster stopped, 
and took off his spectacles to wipe them, as though they had grown dim. "'I hope there is nothing the matter, sir,' said Nell anxiously. "'Not much, my dear,' returned the schoolmaster. "'I hoped to have seen him on the green to-night. He was always foremost among them. But he'll be there to-morrow.' "'Has he been ill?' asked the child, with a child's quick sympathy. "'Not very. They say he was wandering in his head yesterday, dear boy, and so they said the day before. But that's a part of that kind of disorder. It's not a bad sign, not at all a bad sign.' The child was silent. He walked to the door and looked wistfully out. The shadows of night were gathering, and all was still. If he could lean upon anybody's arm, he would come to me, I know, he said, returning into the room. He always came into the garden to say good night, but perhaps his illness has only just taken a favourable turn, and it's too late for him to come out, for it's very damp and there is a heavy dew. It's much better he shouldn't come to-night. The schoolmaster lighted a candle, fastened the window shutter and closed the door, but after he had done this, and sat silent a little time, he took down his hat, and said he would go and satisfy himself, if Nell would sit up till he returned. The child readily complied, and he went out. She sat there half an hour or more, feeling the place very strange and lonely, for she had prevailed upon the old man to go to bed, and there was nothing to be heard but the ticking of an old clock, and the whistling of the wind among the trees. When he returned, he took his seat in the chimney-corner, but remained silent for a long time. At length he turned to her, and speaking very gently, hoped she would say a prayer that night for a sick child. "'My favourite scholar,' said the poor schoolmaster, smoking a pipe he had forgotten to light, and looking mournfully round upon the walls. "'It is a little hand to have done all that, and waste away with sickness. It is a very very little hand. End of chapter 24